I'm Rob Bastone, and welcome to the latest, hopefully greatest edition of the Rider Rumblings video podcast. Uh, it can't possibly be a failure because I'm accompanied by my worthy constituent, venerable leader post, rough rider, beat writer, Murray McCormick, and I'm also accompanied by my dog. So it's a podcast, P-A-W-E-D cast. Uh, Mur, we already need, this podcast already needs saving. I've destroyed it. Um, what uh, do you make of the Rough Riders now that we've seen them sort of in action? Uh, they, on, on Saturday when they had the green and white scrimmage, the touchdown free green and white, green and white scrimmage. Well, looking back, it's been a couple of days since the green and white game. You know, I was surprised at how ineffective the offense was really considering this. We're all excited about this. Everyone's excited to play a game. They just didn't seem to be generating any points or field goals in that one. It just didn't seem to be a, an offensive powerhouse. When trying to think back to other green and white scrimmages, which I think you noted in a column last week that people will get erased from the memory banks as soon as they're done if they're kind of that lack of offense. So they didn't they didn't seem to be having anybody even trying to go for a touchdown, which is strange. But on the other side of the coin, the defense played really well. The defense was dominant. They were pressures on the quarterbacks. Even though there's no contact, you could tell there's a lot of times where the quarter the defensive line got right through and the secondary had guys covered. So maybe on the other side of the coin it was the uh, the defense dominated, which we always kind of say at the beginning of the season, defense has an advantage over the offense. So maybe that was that it. But I don't know, it just was, it was exciting for a while. And then it got settled into being what it was, which I guess we're always screaming for normalcy. And maybe this was an opportunity to have normalcy. It was a, a boring, I to say boring, because it was still fun to be there. A scrimmage that really wasn't all that offensive. Yeah, it was actually a charitable and uh, humanitarian gesture by Craig, Craig Dickinson to end it a little earlier than anticipated, because it just... They could still be playing, and they probably there probably wouldn't be a touchdown. So, it, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, and I mean, the, the team does have concerns on defense. Maybe, maybe the fact that they were able to exert some pressure is a is a positive, considering a uh, considering that they've got some questions along the not only the defensive line but the front seven. So, granted, you're doing it against yourselves, and as you as you noted earlier, they're doing it uh, not with the kind of aggression aggression and ferocity one would see in the regular season, but that's been a major concern. Can they pressure the passer, especially in the absence of Charleston Hughes and in a pantomime game, at least they showed that there is that uh, potential, if nothing else. But then look what's happened to the defense since that game. They've lost Sterling Shippey with a broken foot. Tim Williams, another Achilles injuries. I don't know how we can go over that one. Rob, I never thought I'd be writing about two Achilles injuries. Now we have five Achilles injuries on the Rough Riders, which is just mind-boggling. Tim Williams, uh, the people inside, he was going to be one of our main stories this week because he says he has a pretty interesting backlight, backstory, but sounds like it was just a regular drill, just pushed off and boom, there goes his Achilles and he's down and he's out and he's gone for the season. And we didn't get a chance to really see, is that, is that you giving positive vibes? Yeah. Oh, Candy just put her paws in the air. Look at her. She's oh, so cute. So Isn't cute. she adorable? Thank You're adorable, yeah. Tumor. Please continue. Right. Or did her paws show up in the screen? Is that how you yes, noticed that? That's what I oh, think, she, yeah. she was stretching. So Okay. Uh, I was talking about Tim Williams. And Tim Williams, I, was he going to be the guy to replace Charleston Hughes? I don't think we saw enough of him to do it. He really hadn't been around that long. But he was in the mix. And, you know, he had he has the NFL background and stuff. So 
that would have been interesting to see what he could do. But I don't know. I, I asked Craig, do you, do you think they're cursed? Can we go as far as cursed? Or is this as bad as 08? When how many broken legs were there in 08, Rod? I'm thinking eight? Six, seven, eight. Six, the receiving core especially was just, you know decimated. DJ Flick, Andy Fantu, it just kept happening. But I think broken uh, legs aren't, yeah. Sorry, but broken legs aren't season-ending or career-ending. They can recover from a broken leg. I don't know when you're a 30-something guy if you can recover from an Achilles tear. And it's, as I said, it's funny. It's so many people I've talked to now since those Achilles tears have happened have been torn their Achilles tears. Guys just playing basketball, guys walking upstairs, guys pedaling their bikes. That it happens in the most innocuous conditions and situations. That maybe it's just the way it is. Or as Craig said yesterday, the X factor be the long break. You're, you're just not used to doing explosive stuff, which it's kind of interesting because it doesn't sound like Tim Williams is doing anything explosive. He was just pushing off of his foot and he popped his Achilles. So. Big, big creates more. You know, you mentioned it before the life in the trenches. Life's going to be decided in the trenches, and it's they got some big issues now too. It's I don't we don't really know what Sterling should be done. He hadn't been around a long time, but there's lots of holes on the on the defensive line that have got to somehow be addressed by by August sixth when the Riders play the BC Lions. Well, there's only one really. If you look, I mean, AC Leonard's going to be one of the defensive ends, and he's he's good. Can he can he be can he give them what Charleston Hughes gave them? Uh, he can be above average. He's proven that. But can he be uh, in, inside? They've got uh, Micah Johnson, who I think is pretty reliable. And then there's McKenna Henry and Charbel DeBeer, and even Alan Chimikinda, uh, draftee, is uh, is, is looked good in training camp. It's just that one defensive end spot that is really a cause for concern. And who knows? Garrett Marino may push uh, for some yeah. playing time inside. But as far as that one defensive end spot, Tim, as you mentioned, Tim Williams, had, I think arrived with the best credentials. He had two sacks for the Baltimore Ravens in, in 2018. But now it's okay. Well, is it Pete Robertson? Is it uh, who on earth is it going to? Do they move Dion Lacey down into the into yeah. the into the defensive line? Do they do they even do they go with a with a type of a modified three four? Do they let the the personnel dictate the formation? Are they are they intractable as far as continuing with a 4-3 defense or there are some things formation wise they can do to perhaps mitigate the uh the effects of the loss of, of charleston hughes there's just really there's really nobody who's you know jonathan woodard looked pretty good in, in the yeah. um in the uh, scrimmage he had a couple of sacks according to our fine stats keepers you and me yeah. Yeah. so uh um but uh still i there's a lot of question marks there but then again there's a lot of question marks on the on in the linebacking core too, and you know Dion Lacey is going to play somewhere, but after that, um, you know. Uh, That's I wonder with the <laughs> I wonder with the three four you're having a hard enough time finding three linebackers. You want to add another linebacker in there, another middle linebacker or something? Doesn't that create more of a challenge when you have what you have going on? And it's interesting too that Elaine Elaine was uh, practicing with the offense yesterday as a fullback. So the the next coming of the next Aaron Donald may want to be a fullback. Well, he's certainly uh, certainly athletic enough to, he is. to play he's, just, a multitude of positions. Yeah, but the only the only issue is he's not he's two forty five, and that's pretty late as a defensive nose tackle. So I wonder if maybe they you know he just got to we I can put on weight, you can lose it. He can maybe <laughs> come see us, but maybe what he can see, he can do. But well, remember once 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 upon a time they had Katwana Jones playing nose in the Gary Etcheverry one eleven defense. And, uh, you know, Katwana Jones was not a big guy, but sometimes, you know, 
maybe quickness can make up for a lack of bulk, but generally you want your beefier players in the in the uh, in the middle of the defensive line. But they may have to scheme their way out of some issues here. Maybe the ingenuity of Jason Shivers will be tested here because uh, I'm not sure the personnel is is going to be what they need, and I'm not sure they know either. They're still we're basically a week and a half from the Rough Riders' first game in in nearly 600 days, and there's still lingering questions about the linebacking core, especially when when you contrast that to 2019, Solomon Alamimian, yeah. all-star. D- uh, Derek Moncrief, all-star. Cameron Judge, uh, most outstanding player in the in the West Division. All three of them are gone. They, they signed Larry Dean, all-star. He's no longer part of the equation. So, I mean, it just get, the hits keep on coming for the Rough Riders, and at some point they're going to have to be able to field a team without the benefit of a preseason game to get a more solid appraisal of the candidates for a number of positions. A really enviable situation, isn't it? Craig has made a point. He, he thinks it's going to take a couple of games to sort everything out. You know, So maybe we're going to see two regular season slash preseason games getting getting the roster sorted out. So don't get too excited when you see lining up in game one. Maybe it won't be there in game two. It may not be there in game three. So I think it's going to take some time. And, just, and plus, they got a hit. They haven't hit yet. I know there's, there's going to be no there's going to be pads today. Will be a little different, but nobody's really hit anybody yet. And we, I want to see what happens on the injury front when that starts happening. As the guys say, when the when the bullets start to fly, because we've seen uh, a relatively healthy group coming out of the. Uh, can we even say relative? I, I wouldn't say that. No, not five, I'm, I'm, five I'm since training camp started. Since training camp started. But even then, there's been two knees. Well, Justin McInnes is out. Tim Williams. Well, Tim Williams. Mike Adam might have a groin injury. There's a, there, so they're going to have to somehow get through this healthy. And today they're going to be and they're going to be hitting with pads for the next two days because they got to sort out who can play a position. So there could be more injuries coming, which is even scary. And we don't. And they're not in very good shape. And I'm not sure this differentiates them from any other team in the Canadian Football League because every other team's had to deal with a protracted hiatus as well. But Craig Dickinson has made it very clear that he doesn't like their conditioning level. That is to be expected. And he, he led us to believe coming into camp that there would be conditioning issues. And, and that if there were, perhaps some of the rookies would push the veterans. Now that we're seeing those conditioning uh, issues, will some will there be some unexpected cuts later this week on account of that? Tough to say. It is really tough. Like unless they had them running wind sprints, which in my years on the rider beat, I've, I've never seen that many wind sprints run before. It was interesting to see Lucius Purefoy on the first four was, was the leader. He wanted to be out there, run fast, and then he kind of he was no longer the leader. I guess he got a little winded or something. But Craig they been doing this two weeks earlier? Yes. And I think Craig mentioned that. He should have started this started this back when they opened training camp and worked on that more than trying to get into X's and O's and those type of things. So, yeah, they should have been doing it a little earlier. By the same token, you're dealing with a team that just came off four guys with Achilles injuries gone for the season maybe being cautious was probably a natural human way to to deal with things so that might have been a little bit part of his thing but he did do it light for the first two days and then kind of open things up but it just seems the hitting today is going to be very important I think some of the guys are going to have to step up I don't know who's going to step up yet we'll see how much we can see from whatever contact you still can't put guys to the ground you still have to remember they're your own teammates and you don't want to be hurting one of your own guys on the team so yeah, and this I mean, has already been team porcelain, so they've got to be pretty careful about how uh, how aggressive <laughs> they are. I mean, Keon Adams is another player who's yeah. been who looked good early in camp and then and then hasn't been playing. And all, another player fits that description is Jake Hardy, 
who had yeah. such an impressive start and has since been been uh, been limping. And, uh, and and Taron Vaughn has just returned to practice, trying to get a handle on whether he can play with his shoulder brace. But you know, so suddenly uh, you wonder if that wealth of Canadian receivers, at least in in one case, is is being depleted. In that, who knows what's what's up with Jake Hardy? And you have to be concerned when you consider his history of knee injuries. And and uh, now Justin McInnes is limping. And Terrell Janna ended up playing with the first team uh, offense as a wide receiver uh, in Monday's practice. So there's Janna, there's Picton, there's uh, uh, Keon Schaefer uh, Baker, and there's uh, Braden Linnaeus. So yeah. they've still got four for two starting spots, but at one point they had six. Yeah. So yeah, and, and all, they've all looked had they good. Like Lanius has looked the best. I think Schaefer Baker. You wrote about him. And he's I really, really like Schaefer Baker. Yeah, and I, it's kind of interesting. Jana kind of started off strong, but it's kind of tailed down a little bit. I don't know. I don't know if that's a cause. Maybe the ball's just not going his way, or he's running with this, the B and C group. But you don't see him as often because we, we tend to focus on the number one group. But you know, there's there is some. You know, one good thing. Jordan Williams Lambert is back, looking good from that cut hand, which was. Uh, which was pretty serious when he ran into that scoreboard. And he, you know, that's a, he was having one of the best camps around and, you know, it's good to see him back. And I think the riders going to look forward to, but there's Paul McRoberts who performed pretty well in training camp. What do you do with Paul McRoberts? Like you yeah. can't, you can't stash him on the practice roster again. And I, you think he's, he's going to want to play. He, he would, I think he would be the Ottawa Red Blacks best receiver and he might not start here. Like you've got, you've got Kyron Moore, you've got Shaq Evans and you've got Jordan Williams Lambert, Lambert, all of whom will start. Unless they look at it and think, you know, they're probably playing, they're probably paying uh, Paul McRoberts a lot less than Jordan Williams Lambert. Yeah. So, uh, uh, you know, maybe does, does the cap become become an issue? I even look at the the secondary, and I think they've got a lot of defensive backs they've really liked, and they've got four veterans back there. But you know, Ed Ganey would be making a lot more money than some of the young DBs. So, is yeah. if there's a veteran who's on the bubble, I, I would doubt it, but. If they're looking to save save money, and you got to remember, these teams are trying to at least by by and large are trying to spend to the cap floor. We'll yeah. see how we'll. See, but they also have the latitude to spend a lot more. It's not it's not written in stone that they have to. But if teams are really serious about spending to the cap floor, does that jeopardize some veterans roster positions, especially here, given that the Rough Riders have some young younger players who've come in and, and shown pretty well. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, it's an interesting thing, too, is we're watching training camp. No CFL team has brought in money from gate revenue yet, eh? Yeah. Like you, you look out in the field now, everything they're doing is costing money. Yeah. And more money and more money and more money. And they, they may be, maybe there's sponsorship dollars and those kind of things coming in right now, but I don't know how much that is to offset training camp. But training camp is an expensive, expensive operation. I think Craig Reynolds mentioned that most of the riders' uh, rainy day fund was going to be spent before the season started. So... You know, this is an expensive operation, training camp. And I keep looking out, wondering how they're going to get out of this and what kind of shape they're going to be when the season actually starts. When it doesn't, there's, there's excitement for it. I like the CFL's Rise Up video. I think that's a, a fun thing to get behind. But do you really feel there's a whole lot of enthusiasm for the regular season open, Rob? I, I think the people who are customarily enthusiastic are enthusiastic. I haven't seen, and granted, time has not been an ally, and they've had to make a lot of things go very quickly with the with, uh, shortened staffs, but I haven't seen anything in the way of a new way of doing things in the Canadian Football League that really is designed to create excitement. Well, the CFL puts out a video, but they're just preaching to the choir. What have they done proactively to try and entice people to go? Uh, the first Rough Rider game is, a, is pretty much a sellout. I went and counted uh, little red and blue dots on the Riders' website or the Ticketmaster site uh, 
on Monday, and there were fewer than 300 seats available for the August 6th game against BC. But then you look at August uh, August 14th against against Hamilton and August 21st against Ottawa, and uh, you could bring conventions to some of those some of those sections and have room for for plenty of delegates. So uh, they're going to have to really preoccupy themselves with trying to do boots on the ground marketing. And I keep mentioning it, but it's true and undeniable. The Rough Riders in 2019 saw an appreciable attendance dip despite having a first-place team, uh, a supposed cash cow of a stadium, and a charismatic quarterback. And they kept brushing it off and saying, that's just the way things are in the injured industry. No, I think that's something they've got to, they've got to take seriously. And even, even before the pandemic, this is my rant of the week, even before the pandemic, there should have been alarm bells sounding like Big Ben in the riders' offices when they have a game on November, 20, November 2nd, 2019, that if they win it at home, they've got first place. doesn't happen very often. And uh, they were 4,000 short of a sellout. If that doesn't raise alarm bells or set off alarm bells, what does? But there just seemed to be a, okay, well, that's just the way things are. It's a tougher crowd now. No, you've got to redouble your efforts to get people out there. Even before the pandemic, there were signs of slippage. And what have we seen here or in other centers that leads you to think that the CFL has any different way of doing business than it has before, despite the uh, repeated declarations that, uh, that there is the imperative of doing so? I think the first the first game of the season. I like that one. I think the first game of the season is kind of like must see football. You know, you've left your money with the Rough Riders for a season. And you want to be at that game. That's the one that people are talking about. Game two is just a regular football game. You know, it's back normalcy. That's maybe a normalcy and Nor- normalcy. Normalcy. Who who do they play in game two anyway? I forgot to bring my schedule up. They play Hamilton. And then they That's play. I, I, I knew it was in an East. Then they play Winnipeg. East Division games are tough sells, and even at the best of times. It's always been the, kind of that way, the riders. So I think that's that's one of those things that happens there. But you would think that the enthusiasm of people would want to be there for game after game after game, especially when they play so many home games to kick off the summer, and then they're gone for most of the winter, or, so the fall, which is kind of a... That, and that's a concern of it. I mean, if they can't make some hay with uh, with attendance early in the year with, with such a front-loaded schedule... Theoretically, I think people would be more comfortable going to games later in the year than earlier if there's a hesitancy about COVID. Although who knows what if, what kind of wave we might be getting in the fall. <laughs> but if 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 uh, if if uh, there's less COVID hesitation in the fall, but there's fewer home games, uh, is that a, does that result in a, a bit of a an added attendance and financial challenge for the Rough Riders? I'm, Everything I was going to ask you, is, is 2,882 people at the scrimmage on uh, Saturday. They could have accommodated 5,000. How much do you think we should read into the fact that they were just over 2,100 shy of uh, uh, an artificial capacity? I thought they'd get 5,000 for sure. I thought for sure. I thought I was worried about parking. How's that? I thought for sure we, you and I would end up parking way over by the other side of the uh, Grand Center. So, yeah, I, well, was I, had, I had my usual parking spot. I siphoned the gas out of your car and I keyed it, and then I went up to the press box. Sorry I don't about know that. What, what happened to it? Yeah, because I thought I had a nearly full tank. Yeah, I, I was quite surprised. And I, I still can't figure out if it's an indication. I think it's an indication of people I talk to. They're not very excited about being un, around unvaccinated people. They really aren't. That's kind of the attitude. I get from a, a golf with a regular season ticket holder. He didn't go to the uh, scrimmage, and he may not go to game one because he says, I'm, I'm vaccinated, but I don't want to be around people who aren't. So that's their decision. That's their, that's their choice to do that. Maybe if more people got vaccinated, I, I somehow think, I don't know if I'd let my 
fact that someone's not vaccinated to miss the first game at Mosaic Stadium since November 17th, 2019. Like, I'm, I'm excited about that game and what it means to get back to what life is going to be like from before COVID. So maybe maybe people start seeing that. But, yeah, I, I'm surprised. I was surprised, and, I'm, and I don't know really what they do about that. This is what they had. and it's, There's it no incentivization anymore. Yeah. They've said, fill up Mosaic Stadium, do what you want. Um, provinces, the restrictions are lifted, you know, business as usual. They, and there's no incentive for people to uh, to get vaccinated. There's not, except for com- commons. You'd think common sense would be a really powerful <laughs> incentive here, but yeah. obviously there's about 25% of the population in Saskatchewan and higher populations elsewhere that just see, cannot grasp the, the fundamental of uh, getting a vaccine in order to greatly enhance your chances of avoiding a, 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 a virus that might kill you. And you're looking at the, the it's the, it becomes such a such an issue sporting wise. And we've seen what's happened in the National Football League where the NFL has come down hard without the without the objection of the Players Association saying life's going to be a lot tougher for players and coaches if you aren't vaccinated than if you are. Whereas in the CFL, there's no tiering of the system, something that ultimately uh, contributed to Brendan Labatt's decision not to play this year. And I just wonder if the CFL is just playing with fire because there's a there's a lot in, independently of the, uh, the composition of the crowd vaccinated as opposed to non-vaccinated, but suddenly there's going to be a significant percentage of players on the field who are not vaccinated. And you don't have big rosters, and you can't bring people in as quickly as you used to because there's the quarantines. So what happens if, if a team gets a, gets a COVID outbreak? And and they've opened the door for it. That door is wide open. They they will they have to cross their fingers and hope by mid-season they're not dealing with a with a with a delta issue of their own. Yeah. They, the CFL has not handled this well. There's, there's there should be a differentiation, uh, and there should be some incentive for people to get vaccinated among the players, among the, among the constituency of the players. And there's nothing there, and it just penalizes the Cody Fajardos and the Shaq Evanses who have been quite. Vocal about yes, they've been vaccinated, and, you and can't uh, even they're really, lumped into the same group. You can't even ask players if they've been vaccinated. We're not allowed to do that. It's pretty tough because we have to go through Zoom to ask everything. So you can't even get an idea of how many players have been vaccinated and how many are out there without vaccinations. If I was a player, I'd like to know if my locker mate has been vaccinated. I'd like yeah. to think these guys are university educated. Almost all of them, all of them should be, or at least that level, that they understand what vaccinations do and how important it is to moving forward. So, yeah, I, I would think, that I would like to see, I like what the NFL has done with the incentives to make sure you get vaccinated. This is yeah. this is how our league's going to survive. Same with the fans of BC, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are saying you got to be vaccinated. Good for them. And if you're, if you're a, vac- a non-vaccinated person and you don't like it, tough, get vaccinated and you can be part of the crowd. So It's not a right to go to a game and it's still a choice. And if you make a choice, sometimes there are consequences that are part and parcel of those those choices. And uh, so I will be really interested to see the attendances early in the season in Winnipeg compared to Saskatchewan, because those are pretty comparable markets and uh, in terms of size, in terms of in terms of prominence within the community. So uh, I think the first game is pretty much a foregone conclusion as far as a virtual sellout here. So that's not I don't think, don't think it's going to be a good barometer, but home games two, three, four. I, I really want to see how Winnipeg stacks up to. Saskatchewan and it's it's scary because the NFL everything could go wrong COVID wise down there and and games could be forfeited whatever that league is no no danger of forfeiting or folding but if you look at the CFL and if something happens here after everything they they've the, the, the adversity they faced in 2020 and the 
financial pickle they were in even before that. Can, is this league built to withstand another blow? And does COVID have enough, another punch or two left in it? Well, that new variant is kind of scary. That new variant is kind of scary. I'm glad I'm vaccinated. At least if I get sick, I'm just going to get sick and not have to do with ramifications. Let's move on to something a little more exciting. Yeah, sorry about that. We can always talk about quarterbacks, can't we? Like, can we talk about quarterbacks? Sure. So, Isn't she cute? She's so adorable. Now she's scratching. Uh, um, doggone cute. Doggone uh, cute. Dog. Quarterbacks you know, I, I, everybody's kind of in a bundle after Cody Pajardo. I didn't see anything in the scrimmage that really that made me think, okay, there's their number two, there's a number three. It would Somebody was going to have to overtake Isaac Harker, and I didn't see that. So I think Isaac Harker's safe for number two. As far as number three, um, Candy, who's number three? You know as well as I do. That's, that's well, a Paxton point. Lynch is, oh, sorry, Paxton Lynch might be the guy because of his experience and you know, he can step up there. Maybe he can, if he has to play, but I it's can a first still... rounder that has to be enticing for them thinking somebody saw a lot in this guy once upon a time and he can really throw. Yeah, he he had throw. one pass to Paul McRoberts. He zinged it into a, that was probably the best pass window. of the day. You the saw, pass. you saw one pass by, by Tom Flacco toward the sideline that should have been picked off. That just, it, the, the, the disparate arm strength of, of Lynch compared to the other newcomers was, was I think evident in the, in the scrimmage, at least at times. So um, that arm strength, that first-round pedigree, uh, the fact that he has learned in an NFL system, the fact that he's six foot seven, two hundred and forty, and can move—to uh, me, I, I would be pretty, pretty tough for the Rough Riders, I think, to not keep Paxton Lynch if they're convinced that he is serious about about this. And after two or three weeks, he's not going to say, oh, "I'm sick of making CFL minimum. I'm going back home to my very nice home in Denver." That's the question I have. He always has money in the bank. This would be more of a, an opportunity just to maybe get back to the NFL and show what he can do because that's what he wants to do, which isn't a bad thing by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, Mason Fine has also been out there. I forgot to mention him, and he didn't do much to really sort of stand out either in my mind either. So I don't I don't know. Like, even Fajardo was okay. You know, we're not, we're not running off saying that he's – there were a couple of questions, but he's only out there for maybe nine plays, I think, nine or ten plays. Yeah, what but again, in 2019, Derek Taylor, Taylor, Derek Taylor kept stats in 2019 at the scrimmage in Saskatoon. And Cody, uh, pardon me, Zach Clowers went one for 10. And five or six months later, he was a great cup winning quarterback, albeit for a different mm -hmm. team. But, yeah. uh, so. Uh, yeah, I guess once again, the green and white scrimmage was one of those things that comes and goes. It's exciting building up to it. And when it passes on, you move. Just like training camp. Training camp will move on. but get down to smaller numbers on Friday. It's like, Less than 100 guys, and you'll find a big difference watching. There's less people out there, and there's more of a, a focus and those kind of things. And then the season's here, and, man, about time, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's a longer training, shorter season, but a longer training camp than usual. And, and no cuts, and, and so it really, no preseason games. So you end up just kind of recycling the bathwater a lot. Um, running backs, I mean, William Powell, I get the feeling from watching the riders scrimmaging or practicing that they're going to use William Powell a lot more downfield as a receiver. I this year that they did in the past, they've they've put him they've put him in some slot positions every now and then, and and he's a good receiver. I think he can give them a, give them a lot. As far as number two, I really like Marcus Murphy showed nice quickness in the uh, in the scrimmage. The one nice running play that the Rough Riders did have was Marcus Murphy gaining well eight yards. Uh, Jamal Morrow Jamal Morrow didn't uh, do that much, and and Ralph Webb didn't do that much. But uh, again, tough to tough to base it on a scrimmage. I I think. If it comes down to the uh, the fact that the 
the backup running back is also going to be the return specialist. So then you can look that, that look at that a couple of ways too. And that the Jamal Morrow has a year of experience on the Rogers practice roster, and they like him. And uh, and uh, but and he's younger than than Marcus Murphy, who's almost thirty. But uh, Marcus Murphy once upon a time returned a punt for a touchdown for the New Orleans Saints. And you know Jamal Mur- Jamal uh, Jamal Morrow returned kicks and punts in college, but not exceptionally well. His, his average. Yeah in college was less for on kickoff returns was less than 20 and his average on punt returns was nine. Well, those look like the rough riders were kick return averages in 2019. Yeah, Marcus case. Murphy, I think is more of a, I think I like uh, more of a built in candidate for a designated returner role. But I think I wonder if uh, Jamal Morrow's incumbency might, uh, might balance out that equation. That's a, that's a really interesting battle to, to watch. One of them might be on the practice roster, you know, again, just to see what they can do for a little while, put them down there. And it's there. a bigger, bigger, bigger practice roster. There's 13 players on the practice roster. And they also have this taxi squad, five-player taxi squad, which gives them some flexibility in case a guy gets COVID and that kind of stuff. But you also have to remember, all these guys can be plucked from each team. I think the taxi squad, they can take any team can take guys from there to fill out their roster to avoid the quarantine period. It's gonna, that's another thing. What happens now is that people say, why haven't they made a trade for somebody to be a defensive end? Why haven't they made – because the trade's – got to bring him in. It's two weeks before he's even on the field for you, and that's halfway. Yeah. So it really isn't something that they can really even sort of ponder right now because basically these are the guys they're going with, right? Who they cut. This is the roster. Some of all these guys on the field today, they're all going to be in the field Monday. They're going to be around on Monday when they open up. So it's they got to go with what they got. So they can't really bring anybody in. We addressed the uh, receiving core pretty much in depth earlier. I uh, uh, we're we're writing about receivers uh, as we yeah, record this on a Tuesday. It. Murray's got a story on Jordan Williams Lambert, and I've got a piece on on Kyron Moore and uh, and Shaq Evans is is very good. So I think the receiving core is going to be fine. The key is can you protect the quarterbacks to a degree that will allow the, the receivers to get the ball and uh, that offensive line. A lot will depend upon how Taron Vaughn can handle his shoulder injury. Can he play with it? Um, uh, if, if so, then Cameron Jefferson would seem to be the most likely candidate to play uh, right tackle. The guards. Taron Vaughn was at right tackle yesterday, which is right tackle. Interesting. Uh, Maybe just trying to alleviate a bit of the pressure. Yeah, it's, it's his right shoulder. I think I saw the brace on. So maybe that's trying to go, but that wouldn't make sense, I guess. But it looked like, it may be different today, maybe just getting him warmed up in there. So, there, you know, there, there is some depth problems on that. Maybe someone joked when we, uh, when Brendan Labatt's decided to hop out to the season, when would the Riders be calling him to come in and help him out? Cause, but Evan Johnson's been gone because he just became a new dad, and, and nice on Craig to do that. It's a interesting timing to have your baby in training camp, but who knows what's going to happen this season. The way players are getting injured, I don't think missing training camp workouts is a bad thing. No, that's but kind I'm, of what... Yeah, but, you know, they've good. got him, they've got Evan Johnson penciled in or penned in at a guard spot, and, and if they don't... Uh, uh, so you've got... Uh, and you've got Dan Clark playing center obviously so that that's taken care of and so that leaves one spot that's a i mean aside from the tackles there's 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 one spot that's a bit of a mystery but uh, right guard just, spot. you think right guard is that mystery like what Brett boyko can do in there well um are they going to play are they going to play boyko? boyko right guard or left guard you know boyko's got good credentials but has not yet you know proven that he can be a game in game out guy in the league if he can, that uh, takes care of some of the uh, some of the issues there. There's Josiah St. John who can back up. Logan Furland has had a good camp. 
Matlin Riley is likely to be part of the equation somewhere. So uh, they've got some depth there, but uh, it's being tested this, uh, this uh, I was going to say this spring. Uh, defensive line, we've addressed that. Linebackers, Dressed. who are some of the candidates at linebacker? Where we haven't really dealt with that. <laughs> when, Craig, when, when Craig Dickinson says he doesn't know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're, can, I think... you're one of the brightest minds in this podcast. Yeah, you're right up there with Candy, so we, we you should be able to help us out here. I, I'm thinking like I really liked uh, Demarcus Gates. I think where you, he's they really play come all, on, isn't he? They they play all over in linebacks. I wish I could say he's the Sam, he's the Will, or the Mac, but they they they're moving him everywhere on the field, and that's I think they're just trying to find a guy kind of like throwing when you cook spaghetti, you throw it at the wall to see if it sticks. Uh, I, I kind of like Gary Johnson Jr. stood out for me during the uh, Green and White game. He's a guy who's had some experience. I mean, he could be a good will, I think, looking at that size. That would be a good will gesture, wouldn't it? A.J. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hendy's look good. Yeah, Nigel Harris is another guy who looked good. And you know what we haven't even mentioned? The Herdman Reed brothers. Yeah. And we keep I keep watching them and seeing how much they get used. They don't seem to get utilized a lot. I think maybe they're going to be really big contributors on special teams, in which you and I both know the Riders special teams, maybe not a punter and place kicker, Right now, but have issues in coverage, and you need some really good coverage guys. And the Herbman brothers can maybe fill out that coverage position with a Leon, a Dion Lacey. So those are some names. And don't forget Micah Tights. He's he played one game last year, didn't totally look out of place. And I think maybe they can get him as a Canadian will. But those are some of the names to throw out there. Kevin Francis too, another guy who we haven't really said that much and seen that much about there. So I keep looking away because I don't get my roster, folks. It's Godfrey Onyeka too. Yeah. But, uh, and AJ, I know you mentioned Handy. Handy was look good too. He's come up and made some big plays. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see when they they go out today with the bullet when the live bullets are flying supposedly, and see what happens with uh, the kind of figure out the linebackers. I said it's funny, and I don't think Craig is hiding it from us. I I really don't think they know. If, I think yeah, Craig's always candid with us. And I don't, I think he's telling us. Yeah, we don't know yet. We're going to well, sort it all out. You watch practice and you just look at linebackers in and out at this, at Sam and Will and Mac or Mike or Marcus or Murray or whatever the M stands for. That's why they call uh, it practice wrong. You know, and it's, it's, not it's, a game. it's really a, it's really a revolving door. Less so in the secondary. How's that for a, oh, yeah. a smooth segue? Uh, barring the unexpected, the, the halfbacks will be Lucia's Purifoy and Ed Ganey. Purifoy has had as, I think as good a camp as anybody. Yeah. The, uh, the safety, if he's healthy, Will be Mike Adam. What if he isn't? Well, there's Jacob Dearborn. He's kind of seems the one. And I would have thrown. What an opportunity it would have been for Nelson Lacombo. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. he. But yeah, I think Jake. That's a real question. I got to watch that thing because they just. I don't know who would be in this. Craig said soft tissue issues for him, and he, he's he's been a pretty healthy guy for most of his career. So I'm not totally worried about Mike not coming back. But that is a question mark hanging over the team, and they. I think they really want to go with a Canadian in that position. That's kind of one of those positions you have it's, to play Canadian. It's ratio chaos if they don't. Yeah. And the cornerbacks, you know, we've got Nick Marshall, who's looked fine. You know, he hasn't yeah. I haven't really noticed him much, which that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Just you don't, that, you don't watch the guys like that. You know, I yeah. don't watch Purifoy because I know he's going to be on the team. Yeah, when you look at it, I mean, about three-quarters of the team is decided if you look yeah. at the starting positions. And, you know, barring further injuries, they've, they've got about 18 of the 24 starters determined. Now, there's a lot of uncertainty 
as far as those remaining six. And there's not front runners emerging in some of those cases. And uh, I wonder if an ability to play special teams might be the tipping point in some of those oh, yeah. instances. And uh, if you're looking at the final roster, and as you mentioned, they had coverage issues in uh, 2019 because they had issues with our coverage. Bad joke. And uh, <laughs> yeah. five return touchdowns uh, with a head coach who's forte in special teams. I'm sure that didn't agree with, with Craig Dickinson. They've got to upgrade the return game uh, somehow. And uh, they've got to upgrade the, the coverage. The uh, And Brett Lowder's got to kick at higher at higher than 78%, which I think exactly, he will. Yeah. And John Ryan's leg still looks electric. So yeah, he was booming, booming them in, in the yeah. scrimmage. Oh, well, some of the stuff sometimes was getting as high as the stadium, some of his punts. And oh, that's maybe that, that'll, that'll, do, shot. that'll do so much for the coverage teams if, if, he, if he works on it, if his net average picks up and the guys get down there in the field to cover. So that's a big one. I was mad at myself because usually when, I, when I'm when i at the games, I, I do the hang time. And uh, I was in scrimmage mode, and it didn't occur to me to do hang time. And after John skied that first one, I thought, you could have, you could have, you know. You and I could have covered that. You gone to the concession during that <laughs> during that uh, punt and got back in time to see it be fielded. So John Ryan's right leg is 39 going on 25. And he's so fit. It's incredibly oh. fit for a punter. And you look at the... The modern day punters on you watch college kids are all like that. It's not the guys that kind of trot out and just they're all athletes first and incredible punters second. So that's the way the game has changed. Uh, what are you thinking with the Jason Moss offense? Um, have you seen? Have we seen enough to make a to uh, warrant an opinion? Or we, well, a no touchdown scrimmage doesn't exactly engender, exactly engender confidence. Yeah. But I think they're going to be fine there. I think once they get down to using the people they want to use in the situations that they want to use them in, and also are cognizant of the fact that they're no longer hiding anything, and they can use the full playbook instead of just basically the nuts and bolts plays, uh, that'll be interesting. And uh, we're going to see, especially as players have more time to get accustomed to the offense too with all its all its possibilities. Uh, they'll be, they're still installing that offense, and you can be a... You know, boundary receiver the next play and a slot one play and a slot back receiver slot back the next play or running a fly sweep or a jet sweep or whatever so um there's so many i think possibilities look at her there's hi candy there's so many possibilities that no oh, there's so many possibilities that uh, i think there's now she's yawning was that something i said uh, that uh i think we'll real we really won't know until the first game but you look at some of them, some of the 2019 statistics as a marker, and Stephen McAdoo's offense statistically was in some cases superior to that, which was choreographed by Jason Moss. So um, there's not, it's not a, it's not a. I think Moss has the bigger name and certainly the, the better resume. But if you look at offensive productivity, it's pretty much a wash if you look at the 2019 Edmonton Elks versus the 2019 Rough Riders. And so, and you got to remember Edmonton. No, but you got to remember that Trevor Harris was, was absent for five regular season games, so that skewed their yeah. statistics a bit with Logan Kilgore as playing quarterback. But still, uh, I'm I, th- I think they'll make a lot better use of the weapons that they have. I think Kyron Moore is going to have an absolutely crazy year. Aren't you cute? Because mm-hmm. yeah. um, um, uh, I, I wouldn't be surprising him to see him get fourteen a uh, thousand yards in fourteen games this year. Because I think. That's the player I look at, and I think Jason Moss, looking at Kyron Moore and all the things they can do with him on that expansive field, is just going to be like a Madden player with a controller. That could be fun to watch. 
I just like to tell people, let's get off the Jason Moss fiery rant stuff. He's not going to be like that as an offensive coordinator. I know he was, and it was fun to watch on the side, but he was in charge of a whole lot of stuff. And he would blow up every now and again, which is, you know, that happens. He's going to be offensive coordinator. He's going to be up in the box. Maybe he can blow up there all he wants. But the focus is going to be on this on Craig Adams. Craig is he Dickinson. a sideline coach or a box coach? I think he was in the I box. Said, I seem to recall he was a sideline coach, but I couldn't. It was. It seems like 48 years ago since we last watched the CFL. Yeah, I know. So I can't. Yeah, it's a good point. I'm, a, I'm assuming he'll be in the box. Even then, even on the sideline, he's not. It's not. He's not going to be one blowing up. Is Craig making the final? It's not decision. his job to blow up at the, at the, no. the officials anymore. So. No, so he's just going to be fine. I, I think that, and he's out of many people. He's not. I don't think he's, he gets fired in games, but he's not really that type of guy. I think I've like I've always liked talking to Jason. And I think that he's going to be a little more, a little less fiery and a little more focused on what the uh, what's happening on the field. I think what we, what we might see too, Murr, is uh, is the fact that Jason Moss is also a quarterback of considerable, or was a quarterback of considerable yeah. repute. How much does that uh, help the development of not only Cody Fajardo but the the four younger quarterbacks? Uh, beneath him on the roster. I think the his understanding of the quarterback position could also, and his empathy for what the quarterbacks must go through might be beneficial there too. I don't think Stephen McAdoo did a bad job in 2019. Not until the West Final. The West Final, but I think Stephen McAdoo right now is saying, hey guys, I can still coach offensive, being offensive without having played quarterback. Like there's as many, probably as many offensive coordinators who didn't play quarterback as the ones that have played quarterback. So I think that's you know, that's something you just have to do. you got to be able to do it. And, yeah, Mac, other than that, so we, we were talking about the West Final the other day in the press box. Kind of a, we always, all the other little things have kind of been sort of swept under the rug because we've been away for so long. But there are a lot of questionable calls at the end of that game, including the non-usage of William Powell that still has everyone scratching their head over what's going on. Regardless of Cody hitting the goalpost, I don't think he should have been in that position if they even utilized William Powell to his, his abilities and just let the guy run, run, run. Well, that's looking back, but or if, uh, they get one, or if they get one block yeah. on a trick play on a punt return, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> oh, the fickle, fickle nature yes. of football. Um, well, so, as we record this, it's 11:35 a.m. and the Rough Riders are to begin practice at, at noon. And uh, Murray and I are both very old, so we have to takes takes a while to our to uh, yeah. to assemble ourselves to get to where we're going. So. Um, um, anything to add, Murray? Nothing. I think there's, uh, you know, Friday's a big day, cut down day. We we'll finally get to see what your 2020 Rough Riders are going to look like, kind of, heading into the weekend. Because, well, in the old days, it could be moves to, to decide on the roster and then make changes. But I think once the roster's set, it's pretty well going to be set due to COVID. So it'll be interesting to see. I don't, that's what my thought. Friday's a big day, another big day in the big days. And then we're a week away from, well, the regular season opener on against the BC Lions. Finally, finally, oh, can hardly wait. Um, so it's going to be interesting doing the podcast a week from now. We do have a special guest lined up, and I will reveal the identity of that person uh, in due course. Uh, but I think that'll be worth watching. Uh, the special guest will will supplant Candy next week. I'm I'm thinking. Um, we've got the uh, little explainer yes. at the end that I always keep. Uh, meaning to read. Murray, do you have that at your fingertips? If no, I, I, I don't. screwed this up again. Uh, sorry, this is this is must viewing uh, material. I realize, but I've been instructed uh, by Mark Melnichuk, our producer, to uh, read this. I've got it here, and I don't understand some of these terms because I'm 114 years old. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review and a five star rating. 
out of five, please, not out of 100. It helps us grow the podcast. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Where do you get your podcast, Mer? Um, <laughs> I get it by pressing that icon on my phone. If you'd like to send Spotify. us a question, you can email Rob at rvanstone at postmedia.com, and we'll read your question or comment on the air. You can follow me uh, at, uh, our, at Rob Vanstone on Twitter or Murray at, at MurrayLP. I thought the elocution there was tremendous. Well done, Rob. You've you got a real future in podcasting. <laughs> Great. Well, hopefully we have at least another week in the future anyway. So uh, for Murray McCormick, thanks again, Murray, for uh, all your time. And uh, thank you thank to you everybody Rob. out there in podcast land for spending uh, time with uh, Murray, myself, and uh, my wonderful dog, Candy. I'm Take care. My cat, if I catch, I'm going to have to bring my cats into the next one. Well, no, we'll, after the special guest, of course. Yeah, let's 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 get the cat going for. Uh, we've let the cat out of the bag now about a future special guest, but we'll get we'll have a feel. The football football feline will soon debut. For Murray, for me, and for Candy, um, take care and uh, have a great day. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.